We're in the chapter of the book, chapter 4. That's baptism and communion. So we're jumping partly into the book, and we're jumping to communion. Take your Bibles and join me. Exodus 12. Even though this is an odd place to start when we talk about communion, I think it's important that you and I would back up and just make sure we have the background information that we need. Would somebody turn down the fans, please? The folk underneath that, they don't get blown away by those fans on high. There's a lot of different ideas when it comes to communion. Okay, and you and I can. We some of us grew up in churches that had different ideas. Some say communion, taking it, provides forgiveness. Some say it's just a matter of fellowship with you and the Lord. Some would say that during communion, the uh, crackers or whatever they want to call it, the crackers and the juice becomes the literal body and blood of Jesus. Others would say, no, no, these are just symbolic, just reminders of what Jesus had done. There are some who would say, if you take communion, you have actually and realistically taken and Jesus into your heart. And by the way, I grew up that way because we were told that the communion uh, elements become the actual body and blood of Christ by taking the elements we were taking Jesus into our life. So if you had asked me as a, as a worshiper in that system and said, have you ever asked Jesus into your life? I would say I do it every Sunday when I take communion. So you need to qualify and quantify what you're talking about in terminology. Uh, Some would say that this is required to do every single week. Some would say we only do it maybe once a year. Uh, There are going to be some views that say this. It's to be done in a... um, in a quicker fashion, some would say, no, 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 when we do communion, we want to take an entire you know, day or service and have a feast that goes along with it. Some would say, okay, when we do communion, we should be very, very somber, very, very serious, very, very, and I, I've had some folk uh, here who have said, when we take communion, nobody should ever, ever smile. Um, that, that, you know, but by the way, do you know what the word that's used in in the original language to talk about communion, you know what the word is? Eucharisteo. Do you know what the word means? Give thanks. Okay, and so um, some would say it's a joyful celebration. Some should say, would say it's open to anybody. Anybody. Others would say, no, it's only open to a certain few, even to the point that some of you grew up in this, that you were, um, uh, in some churches, they, they will do an, I don't know what word to use, an interview an interrogation, that before you can celebrate communion, you have to meet with certain people, and they will ask you questions, and some of you have shared with me, they ask questions about the relationship, and they approved whether or not I could take communion in the upcoming service. And so there's a wide variety of questions and ideas that go about communion, which, by the way, brings us to an odd situation, because when we gather here, and all of a sudden it comes to a communion service, there may be a whole bunch of different points of views of how communion should be conducted. And so we want to back up and say, okay, let's make sure, especially if we're teaching a new convert, a new convert or, or somebody who has uh, expressed an interest to in learn the Bible, we've got to find out where they're at. We've got to find out and explain what the Bible says about communion and make sure that we explain the truism. And by the way, by explaining communion, are we sharing the gospel? Yes or no? Yeah, because in fact, doing a communion service, is it an opportunity to share the gospel? You do show the Lord's death till he comes, and the word show makes, is literally make pro- public proclamation. 
And so the, the, this service is designed to have some uh, display of the gospel. Okay. Now, let's remember when we're talking communion, there's a lot of different titles given to it. Like what? What is it called? Now, I use the term communion already. What else is it referred to as? Okay, anything else? Lord's Supper, communion. Okay, Eucharist is in some churches, they'll use that term. What else do you have? Can you think of any? Lord's table. Okay. Uh, the breaking of bread. Okay. That idea, the Lord's supper, the Eucharist, and then we usually just refer to it as communion. And so when we want to discuss this, this isn't all in your notes. There's a reference to it in your notes, but I want to back up and remind. And if I were doing this with a new convert, I would do a little bit of this Bible history and uh, explain that communion is rooted in the Passover service. When Jesus implemented it, he, it wasn't just any old meal that was taking place the night that he started the Lord's Supper. It was a special meal that had significance to his audience, and that some of that significance carries over into the, pass, into the communion celebration. So the very first communion, let's make the observation, it started during Passover, especially the Passover feast. Some of the Passover elements were designed to be a pointing to Jesus Christ. Uh, it's, it's like the tabernacle. Elements of the tabernacle were pictures of Jesus Christ. Uh, Jonah in the well was a picture of Jesus Christ, his resurrection. The Passover, can you think of anything within the Passover meal that clearly points to Jesus Christ? Okay, the, the lamb itself, the sacrifice of the lamb. And, uh, and that comes from that whole historical event of what started the Passover. And so Jesus uh, called the Passover, uh, Jesus was called the Passover. In 1 Corinthians chapter 5, he is referred to as the Passover when it comes to the sacrifice that was made. So there's a lot of, there's a lot of parallels that we want to just highlight without getting too deep. But if I were teaching this, I would sit down and say, hey, the when it, this was started, they were celebrating a feast that was in commemoration of something that happened hundreds of years ago. And we all know the story. But if you're dealing with a new convert or a young Christian, they may not know the story. So you want to just take them through and say, okay, we go back all the way to the book of Exodus, Exodus 12 in particular. And in that story, it talks about what happened after the Jews were in bondage for 400 years. You all know this. I don't mean to bore, but information that you want to pass on. God sent Moses. Pharaoh refused to deliver the people. So God sends a series of ten plagues. The last plague is going to be the most devastating to the people, to Pharaoh and the people in Egypt and even the Hebrews who wouldn't believe that there was going to be, of both men and beasts, there was going to be the death of the firstborn. And in order to prevent that, okay, they had to sacrifice a spotless male lamb. And what else did they have to do with that lamb? Put it on the doorpost, okay? The blood of the lamb had to be applied to the doorpost. And then what did they have to do? Stay inside, okay? Stay inside. And then they ate that lamb, okay? And God said, when I see the blood, I will pass over you. And even that song, I will pass over, I will pass over you. Uh, okay, it's all based upon this story, which is then a picture of what's going to happen in the future. Can I just make some observations that are very broad about what we just said so far? This is the threat of judgment, of that Passover judgment was universal. 
there wasn't anybody that was going to be exempt from this threat of judgment, including the animals at that time, both man and beast, Hebrews and, and Egyptians. The death threat was going to come on an appointed day. It wasn't a random. It was planned by God that on a certain time, and therefore on that certain day, you need to be making and putting this blood on. So there was going to be a judgment day. The, li- the lamb's life or his blood, combination of both, became a substitution Okay, and a protection for them and covered in that case everybody who was within that house that believed. Each house had to have their own sacrificial lamb to make it personal that they had to do and it wasn't just something, okay, that happened broadly but you, there had to be personal application to each household at that point to have that deliverance. And then this deliverance, this event was a one-time event. And so we have some parallels that we're going to be talking about. And you, somebody just mentioned that there was along with that Passover, there was that feast that, that came that first evening, which was called the Passover meal. It is during the Passover meal that Jesus is commemorating that he starts communion services. We know it. And God gave a lot. If you look at Exodus 12 now, look at like verse 8. 9, 10, 11. You will note that when God told them to have this meal and when they would do it in the future, okay, here's certain things that had to be done. He said that the lamb had to be cooked and he explained how it had to be cooked fully. He explained what part of this was to be eaten. He explained what to do with the leftovers. You don't put it in the freezer, you don't save it, but you burn up the rest of the leftovers. He explained that at this meal that you're supposed to dress a certain way. And so he gave specific details about that meal and how long they were supposed to basically take this time to eat it in a quicker fashion. So all that detail is there. God then told them, if you look at verse 14, that you commemorate this. That, and you celebrate this on a regular basis. And what he says, it's supposed to be done on a certain day. He quantified and said, on this day of the year, you do the Passover. He told them it was to be done each year. He told them that it was to be done forever. And so they're going to do this celebration time and time again. They're going to portray this. They're going to act this out once again. And so that's why the Passover became an annual observance because God told them to make sure that they do this regularly. It became a very, very, very integral part of the Jewish culture. And even to this day, the Orthodox Jews will be observing that Passover. Then what happens if you go a little bit further in scriptures, when God made the covenant with Israel, after they get out of Egypt and they go to Mount Sinai, and they have the contract, the covenant that they make with him. He included the, re- the celebration, the recognition of Passover as part of the covenant. Look at the last phrase, that you may remember the day that you came forth out of the land of Egypt all the days of your life. And again, he specified when it was to be done, what day. And so this was very, 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 very important. And this was looking back. And if we want to use the terms, it was their, their celebration day, their independence day. This was the day of the year that they're going to commemorate, you know, the great sacrifice that God had provided so that they could get out. Whatever it is, it's a specific day that they had that was in their spiritual contract with God that they observed. So Jesus, fulfilling the law, Jesus comes and he's observing it. He's with his, his at least the 12 that are with him as they get started in the meal, and they're observing it. Now, at the time of Jesus, there was a very, very, very important popular teacher. His name is Gamaliel. And he wrote a lot of different materials to the Jews that impacted how they viewed things at the time of Christ. 
in Gamaliel's writings, he talks about Passover. The reason I bring this up is just to rehearse to you what parts, and again, this, I wouldn't do this in a Bible study with a new convert. I would do this with you who are mature. But just to help you to understand what was the thinking of Jesus and the Twelve when they started the Passover celebration. Well, this would be impacting the Jewish teaching of that time. They said three major elements. The Passover lamb was a critical, critical element and representing and make sure we do this and this gets highlighted during the meal. Another element that was very important is the unleavened bread. That was the idea of uh, that hasty fleeing quickly to get out the exodus. And the other important part of the meal was the bitter herbs. The herbs that they would do as part of this meal, recognizing and, and commemorating the idea they were in terrible, terrible straits when God sends Moses, when God says, okay, we're going to do the Passover on this specific evening. So these are very, very important parts from a Jewish perspective. At the time of Christ, these were critical elements, which are really interesting. Jesus uses uh, some of these elements, and he shifts the gears in the, the communion service. So the meal we know that Jesus' institute communion was this meal, and uh, we know that because in Luke 22, we read then the day of unleavened bread and the, when the Passover must be killed. And, and you remember that they had the Feast of Unleavened Bread. They had that coincided, came, started a few days before the Passover. It was all within that period of several days that they would have these feasts that were overlapping each other. Then came the day of unleavened bread when the Passover must be killed. He took the bread, gave the thanks. And gave thanks is literally Eucharistel. And uh, break it and gave them saying, this is my body. So when Jesus institutes communion, it is based upon some of their remembrance and the picture of the Passover idea. So there's a few parallels when he starts this. The parallels between the Jewish Passover and what Jesus did in communion would start with the obvious, the most important parallel. There had to be a sacrifice of, of a lamb. Uh, what kind of lamb? Spot. Okay, and so that's very, very important that, there's, uh, that Jesus is portraying. And that makes perfect sense because what did John say about Jesus? Behold... Which does what? Yeah, okay. And so this is all material you know. But again, just to reiterate and say, okay, you want to make sure that, that you get some of this explanation to somebody who's young in the Lord so they understand all this is about. That Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Jesus is called the lamb and his blood is shed. As Peter talks about, we're not saved. We're not redeemed by silver or gold, which corrupt, but by the precious spotless lamb of God, the pure lamb, Jesus Christ, who died in our place. That's why John made that comment, which your notes now give this information. What is Christ called in the passage? The Lamb of God. Let's do a little bit. What is Christ able to do according to this verse? Uh, you can read it, but you're sitting there with that young convert, and you're saying, okay, what, what does this Bible verse say? And they're going to say to you, okay, that he is able to take away the sin of the world. Okay, that his blood is able to do this. That this is all a part of, again, you're rehearsing the gospel, but you're sharing the celebration. And then we read in the next text that it gives you in the book, for it is not possible that the blood of bulls and goats should take away sins. There we are sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. And by the way, just, just for your sake, okay, what's the difference okay, between the offering of the bulls and goats and Jesus? Okay, bulls and goats didn't take away sin. And how often were they done? Okay, were, were they done repeatedly? Okay, what about Christ? 
once for all. Okay, those are the, those are the highlights of that verse. Okay, the once for all and the blood of the bulls and goats. And if you want to use an inadequate illustration, but an illustration that most people in our culture will fully understand, then why did they do the bulls, the offering of the bulls and the, go- and the animals, the rams, the bulls, and make blood sacrifice? Because those blood sacrifices were a kafar, K-O-P-H-A-R in the Hebrew, a kafar, a covering. Okay, They weren't a payment, but they were a covering. What's the classic illustration of a covering that you make and use, but it's not the actual payment? You, do the, you probably have used it this week. It's in your billfold or your purse. It's called plastic. Okay, Your credit card. Does your credit card kafar enough to, make you, to allow you to take home the product? Okay, but is it the real payment? No, it really isn't, because the real payment's going to come, hopefully, real soon. Okay, so you take care of it. So, the, it, it, you know, again, it's an inadequate, but it's, it's something we understand. The Old Testament sacrifice were like a credit card payment that they just kind of put everything on hold until the great payment was made for sins. And who's that great payment? Jesus Christ, the blood of the cross. Okay. That the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin. So what can Jesus, what your book says, what can Christ do that Old Testament sacrifice could not do? Okay. Yeah, we've said the blood of the animals were ineffective. Only the blood of Jesus could take away sins. Even even those blood sacrifices were only a kafar, a covering, a temporary just to make sure that there was a good fellowship between God and the people. But there had to be the sacrifice of Jesus Christ once and for all. Uh, let's add to this, okay, that this reference of the blood of Christ is a reference to his sacrifice of his entire being, his life, his body, all of that is involved in this sacrifice that's celebrated in communion, the blood and body of Christ. Okay, uh, this one gets a little bit harder. Understanding the inadequacy of the Old Testament sacrifice, why did Christ have to be given for you? Okay, so why did Christ, what makes him a sufficient sacrifice for our sins? Okay, he's sinless. Okay, what did somebody say? Okay, the atonement aspect, that one. What else is there? Why isn't a blood of an animal uh, sufficient, but a blood of Jesus Christ was sufficient? Purity, atonement, any other things? God in the flesh. Okay, that, that really plays in here. Okay, we needed an equal substitute. Okay, what makes, us, what, what makes the animals ineffective for covering our sins? The animals aren't people. Okay. There's, there's an inequality here, okay? So ultimately, there had to be a human for human, a new Adam for Adam's race, okay? We needed a perfect sacrifice. That's why Jesus had to become man and live a perfect sinless life. That makes him his humanity and his perfection, yeah, that and deity, humanity, deity, that makes him a sufficient sacrifice compared to the animals. So how you want to explain that, okay, and, and cover that, that's an important, important thought, okay? There had to be a sinless, pure you know, sacrifice of, of a people, 
and that one had not had to be totally pure if he had sin his sacrifice wouldn't be sufficient for us he had to be sinless perfect okay otherwise he'd be guilty of his own his own wrongdoings so you want to stress some of that how you stress that you can put it in there again i refer you back to another passage i don't think this is your notes but if you want a reference to again as the lamb without blemish and without spot very very clear scripture rides this theme of jesus the lamb of god who is perfect spotless lamb and it's a theme that comes up quite often and he develops even further in peter where he talks about who did no sin uh, neither was guile in his mouth, who his own self bearer sins in his own body, by whose stripes we are healed. Okay, and it's, so it's a, it's a, again, another one of those passages highlighting the humanity slash perfection of Jesus Christ. Um, what are some of the specific parallels? Well, we already said one. We said this already between Christ. He's without blemish, so is that lamb. We would offer this, that the, the lamb, the lamb was killed. Okay, not just offered, but I, and, you know, like, you know, some people can make a bogus payment. This lamb actually was killed, killed. Jesus Christ actually died. He died. Okay, he, he had to give his life. Okay, the blood from the lamb was what prevented judgment. So too, the blood of Jesus Christ prevents eternal damnation and judgment for us. And talks about without the shedding of blood, there is no Okay, okay, that's your Hebrews 9.2. So mark that down. You've got that. You're explaining that to the person. And so we jump back to the communion. He took bread, gave thanks, break it, said to them, this is my body which is broken for you, this do in remembrance. Simple, you got this, but you're trying to work through some new convert. What did Christ use to represent his body? Okay, the bread. Okay, and th- th- we're bringing this in because there, I want to give you some background information. Okay, the unleavened bread. This is very important that we understand this aspect. The unleavened bread that was used in the Passover meal. Let's talk about that for a minute. Okay, There was, in Jewish culture, they were very, very, very important that in the Passover, unleavened bread was used. Not regular bread. By the way, in scriptures, when you usually read it in the Old Testament, they will qualify it unleavened bread. Otherwise, when they say bread, then it's the other type that would be leavened bread. And they usually don't put in leavened bread. They just call it bread. Um, The bread which Christ used in instituting the Lord's table was unleavened bread. Why did Jesus use this particular bread? Maybe it'll be helpful if we just answer a few other questions. What's the difference between unleavened bread and regular bread? Okay. So how does that play out for those of us who have no idea about cooking? Okay. The unleavened, would it rise? Okay. Um, Okay. What do you mean it's working behind the scenes? Okay. Yeah, I'm talking unleavened right now. The, The unleavened bread, it has no rise to it. Okay, in that sense, um, doesn't rise like the unleavened. It takes time for the regular bread, which we said to rise before baking. The result is that they would have more of that flat bread or like a cracker. That would be what we're talking about for the unleavened bread. Something of that similarity. How is leaven, um, how is it passed on from dough to dough to dough? Yeah, this is important. What would they do? And then you add it to it. Okay. What, what's the bread that they use around here that they do that? 
Sourdough. Okay, sourdough. Uh, thanks. The, uh, and so you take a part of it and you would add it to it. And then so you, you have your starter bread. That would be your leaven bread. Okay? And so the unleavened is you're basically starting... If, you, if you're going to do leaven, unleavened bread, what do you do? You, you don't add. You have to start... You got to start fresh. You don't have something from the past. Okay, and so it's important. What do you think God, why do you think God specified unleavened bread for Passover meals? This is what you were referring to. Okay, so why did God specify this? Yep, yep, okay. Somebody else made a comment? Okay, the pure factor. Okay, okay. Originally, it meant to represent, originally. Now, the reason they did it originally was because this was to be a fast meal. Correct? Yes? The story? Yeah, do you remember where I'm back to? Passover night. They were supposed to prepare the meal quickly and eat it quickly. Why? When the opportunity arose, what were they to do? Ready to get out the door. And not just out the door of their house. You get out of Egypt. And remember, Egypt is going to portray a lot of that, that evil idea. So originally, it's got the concept of haste. Haste to get away from that bondage. Okay, that's, your, that's, your, um, that's your model that you're going to all of a sudden make your parallel from. It portrayed a willingness to actually quickly leave one's past and embark on a new life with God. Does that make sense? For the Jews that night? Yes, no? Okay. So when he originally established it, okay, he's establishing it by saying, okay, let's, let's basically be done with the past. Does this, does this have any similarity to another, another ritual? Died to the past and raised to newness. And so this is representing... We're done with the past. We're doing something that has newness. Now, beyond that, okay, that what happens afterwards, okay, in Memorial Feast to follow, they had steps that they were to take regarding the yeast, the unleavened bread. Oh, I don't know if I put it in here. Um, yeah, you start jumping down into some of this. Jump down to verse 17, Exodus 12 yet. 17, 18, 19. Watch how he says, and this is in the institution the very beginning, even in, in uh, night of the real Passover, he's saying, by the way, down the road, here's what you do. And he says, you shall observe the feast of unleavened bread for in this same day that I have brought you uh, your armies out of the land of Egypt. Therefore, you shall observe this day in your generations by an ordinance. The first month on the 14th day, you shall eat unleavened bread until one in the 20th day of the month, seven days, there shall be no leaven found in your houses. For whosoever eats that which is leavened, even that soul shall be... What's your Bible say? Okay, this was really, really serious. Okay, you got to clean out, okay, in, this, in the future, okay, to celebrate, clean out the, the, the leaven. Eat only unleavened bread. So this leaven and unleavened has real concepts with the Jewish people. God, how serious was God about this mandate? If somebody violated it, okay, yeah, I'm, I'm, that killing, and some will say, okay, was it a death sentence, actual? And some of the commentators say death sentence and or absolutely the minimum was going to be excommunication from Israel. Okay, and so uh, he states it twice in this passage. I think the cutoff, the way it's used at other times, could mean the death sentence. 
This was really, really serious. And he states it twice in this passage. Okay, so this concept of unleavened and leavened bread has some significance to us. Uh, over time now, now be after that, now we're moving in scriptures beyond this. Over time, unleavened bread compared to leaven came to represent a contrast between purity and sin. In fact, just for your information, again, leaven could not be used when he starts instituting the sacrifices. You can't use any leavened bread with your blood sacrifice. It could only be unleavened bread. Um, When we start moving into the New Testament area, Jesus uses that idea of leaven as a picture of the, the food that the Pharisees were giving. It was filled with leaven. Something bad, something vile. Uh, we have that in the New Testament where in Corinthians, where he's talking about the idea of some man in the church who was living with his stepmother, his mother, whatever that, whatever that relationship was, but something incestuous and immoral. They, that Paul writes and says, you've got to get him out of the body. And you've got to get rid of it because a little leaven... Leaven's a whole lump. In other words, that, was, that leaven was a picture of some immorality and impurity that could affect everybody. And so that's, the, that's that concept that follows in years to follow. Now, taking the phrase, this do in remembrance of me, what does that mean? When he says, literally, this do now, he's, he's taking all of this concept of Jewish people. You're Jewish. You're sitting there. You're celebrating Passover. You've got these concepts in your mind, okay? You've got all this background information. And all of a sudden, Jesus says, this do in remembrance of me. He's, he's making something really drastic here. See, we're so used to it, it doesn't strike us. If we were those disciples in that room at that moment, this would be shocking. And then when they go and t- tell it to the Jews in the days and the weeks to follow, we're doing communion. And now when we do communion, which is like the Passover feast, Jesus said, this do in remembrance of... Okay, what has he just done? What's that? Yeah, Jesus is calling attention to himself, okay? And what was everything in, the, in your Jewish, Jewishness, what was everything about this meal pointing to? The sacrifice of lamb a long time ago. Your deliverance a long time ago. And all of a sudden Jesus says, I'm the deliverance. This was a drastic statement. This was a huge statement for those people. He changed the picture of Passover. Okay, and so that, that's, this is like somebody coming into your home and changing your entire Christmas celebration. The way you do it. Okay, this would, be, this would have impact that sometimes I think we lose because we're not Jewish in background. And we're used to hearing communion for so many years. Um, Jesus made himself the major focus of, these, of the meals, of these celebrations in the future. Remembering him, by the way, when this doing remembrance, the, it, it's just, it's there. It, it, to say you need to remember Jesus means you need to know, understand, reflect, remember, recall what Jesus has done. Not recall Okay, our bitterness in Egypt, not recall, you know, the plagues of, now we're supposed to be thinking when we now in the New Testament, when we gather, we're supposed to be thinking of Jesus and what he's done. And that means we've got to have an understanding. By the way, that that has an implication, which people should be taking communion. Saved people, people who, how how would you explain it? Okay. People who know what it means to remember him. 
Okay, they're thinking about it. They're, they're, it's, it's just one element used in the Passover meal that we talked about is the unleavened bread. Okay, it pictured, and we've already mentioned this, his body given in sacrifice. That, that's real simple. We all know that. The other element used in Passover that Jesus used during communion, and by the way, there was four of these in the typical Passover meal, but he used one of them at one time. What was the other element? The cup, okay, which was going to be filled with... Okay, what's the cup filled with? Not water, not Coke. Okay, it's a wine. It's a wine of that day. Okay, which we'll get to exactly what you said, Pooch, is going to be into next week. I want to really reiterate that. The cup, we're talking about a wine juice, and he said it pictures what? His blood. Okay, and so he's very clear in this, but he says his blood, which is shed for you, okay? And so he makes it very, very clear that he is the sacrificial lamb that died and his blood is what protects other people, okay? And so that's very, very important that we do it. So we go into back into Hebrews 9, back into your book. Why, why is Christ's blood so important for our salvation? Only his blood can remove sin, okay? That's, that's oops, I want to get back to it and make sure you get it. Only his blood. And the reason they're reiterating this is because you might be dealing with somebody who might think communion will help. Baptism will help forgive. And you're going to say, no, 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 no. The only thing that gives us forgiveness is, okay, the sacrifice of Christ. Giving money in an offering plate, going to church, having a Bible. That doesn't give us forgiveness. It is all and only by the Blood of shed blood of Jesus Christ. And that's a very, very important thought we want to keep up. So what are some of the parallels? We said, okay, the, uh, the original sacrifice of the lamb, okay, is, had to be approved, sinless, and its blood staved off death. It became an ongoing memorial of God's, just like, just like Passover was a regular memorial. All of a sudden, Jesus instituted this new focus of communion was going to be something that you're going to do repeatedly as a memorial. Okay, and so there's a, there's a parallel there. Elements were used just like the elements of the crackers, just like the elements of, of the lamb, just like the, you know, some of the unleavened bread were elements of some things that happened in the past. So Jesus says, I'm going to use two elements. Those two elements are going to represent what I have done to give you deliverance. And so there's a, that, that's your parallelism, and it's not much more than that. Um, Christian communion also has an aspect of looking ahead. The reason I want to bring this out is Jesus makes the comment in the, in the communion service, uh, not, uh, join me in 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 11, okay? And we're going to catch there, but look at it. There's, I'm going to highlight a couple of the verses. Not only are we looking back, but he says, okay, when you do communion, you're going to look forward, Okay, Jesus made this comment in Luke. Okay, and Paul reiterates it in First Corinthians eleven. I say unto you, I will not eat any more. Uh, I will not any more eat thereof until the fulfillment be in the kingdom. He goes on, taking the cup. Take this, divide it amongst yourselves. For I say unto you, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God shall come. What has he just prophesied again? Okay, he's prophesied a coming kingdom. And he's prophesied when that coming kingdom is there, I'm going to be with, or I should rephrase that, you will be with 
me. Okay. And so there's going to be a time of fellowship. There's going to be a time of communion. Okay. And so this is portraying and picturing that future reunion with Jesus Christ. That promise of that, of that, that uh, future. This is where in your First Corinthians passage, if you want to mark, um, where he talks about these elements and he talks about the remembrance factor. Down in verse 25, after the same manner, he took a cup saying, this is the New Testament. But, by the way, just, just in case you're sitting with somebody what is another word for a testament? Covenant, okay, which implies contract, commitment, promise, okay, um, that, that Jesus was making. This is the new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you do it in remembrance of me. Again, he's highlighted it each time. For as often as you do this, okay, eat this bread, drink this cup, you do show the Lord's death. The last three words are critical. Till he comes. Okay, and so there's a picture of his coming. Okay, and, and we'll talk about this a little bit more, the showing Lord's death in the moments ahead. New Testament uh, communion is really important for several reasons. Okay, can we take it or leave it? I don't think we can leave it for these reasons. One, it helps us to commemorate, remind ourselves, reflect on the personal physical sacrifice of Jesus Christ. We need these moments. Yes, no? Okay, otherwise what happens in our regular life? We forget, we, yeah, we just assume, we take it for granted, we just kind of go through the motions, and it's like, okay, but we need a time where we pause, and we say, okay, it's, you know, what's the value? What's the value of Independence Day? We celebrate Independence every day in America. What's the value of an Independence Day? Besides getting a day off work. Okay, it helps us to reflect on what happened, the freedoms. Okay, what's the benefit of Thanksgiving Day besides maybe three days off, two days off work, Thursday and Friday? What's the benefit of it? Okay, okay, are we, are we to be thankful all the time? Okay, but why do, we, why do we say it's a good thing to have a Thanksgiving Day? And this was man's choice, not, not God's choice. Yeah, it, it, it's a day where we focus. At least for three minutes before we eat the turkey. Okay. Um, why do you, why do you, I'm going to, this one's going to be really bad. Um, why do you remember your anniversary? <laughs> right away, some of you are going, I don't, he doesn't. Um, okay. So why do you recognize that day? It, it, it's a good day because it reflects and says, this was a good thing that we did. And you remember each other every day, but like on that day, it's kind of a little bit special remembrance. Because otherwise, we just plain get so busy, we forget. And we can take all those different days that we do that. And so the idea of do communion, now I'm going to pick on me, okay? Can we do worship and we're supposed to be thinking of Jesus, but can we get so busy in worship that we forget to reflect on Christ? Right? Yes, does it ever happen? Now, you know, let me throw this out, because I'm, I'm the worst one in the room that this happens. But let me pick on others. Can the instrumentalists get so focused on what they're going to play that day that all of a sudden that distracts some of the worship? Can the ushers get so focused on other things that their worship becomes, you know, taking care of those things? Can I get so distracted that I'm so focused on making things, running a certain way, 
that I forget we're here for worship and not just the thing, the program. So is communion really, really good? That says, okay, even in the midst of the busyness of worship, we just stop and we're forced. Is that the right way of saying it? Okay, we force ourselves to think Christ. Can you see the benefit of it? Me, I do. I don't know about you. Okay, I, I just think it's fabulous. Um, it reminds us that he is coming again soon. Do, do you ever need to remind yourselves he's coming back? And you're saying, I wish it were. Yeah, right? It helps us to show, and this is what we talked about, to show or literally proclaim. So it, it can be a gospel witness. Now, the communion, let me throw this out. Just like the worship service. The worship service isn't designed by God's de- description and God's uh, designation of what happens. It's not designed for the lost. The worship service is primarily designed for the believers. Okay? But does God mention that unbelievers may be present? Okay. Is the communion service designed for unbelievers? No. But... Could it be used, when we do it right, could it be used as a gospel witness? Okay, and that's what we're talking about. Okay, it helps to show the Lord's death. We are commanded, the reason we do it, we're commanded. This is, of all the church services, this is it. This is the one that we're commanded, this do. Okay, the uh, regular gathering is assumed, but this one is do this. As often as you do it, okay, this you have to do. So this is a very, very important service. Now, when we talk about participation, let me just cover just a few thoughts. Paul warns us, when we come to communion, and that's that 1 Corinthians 11 passage that we frequently read, where in the communion passage, he's rehearsed verse 23, 24, 25. He rehearsed how it was done. Then verse 26, for as oft as ye eat this bread and drink this cup, you do show the Lord's death till he come. Wherefore, whosoever shall eat this bread and drink this cup of the Lord, my King James says, unworthily. Does anybody have anything different? Do we all have that basic, that, that same word? Okay. If we drink unworthily, shall be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. Now, this is what I was told by one of our, one of our widows one, uh, several years ago told me, I am not worthy of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Therefore, I am prohibited to take communion based on that word. Are any of us worthy of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ? No. So then what does this mean? Don't celebrate communion in an unworthily. And then he goes on, he says, in fact, if you do, you eat and drink damnation to yourself. Now, we know that's not losing salvation. But the literal idea is discipline. And it could be what type of discipline? Not just spiritual, but physical. And he goes on and he says, For this reason, many are weak and sickly, and, and many even what? Sleep doesn't mean what happens typically in church. What's, he, what's it mean? Okay, died. That they died. And if we would judge ourselves, we would not be judged. So participating in communion is a great thing, but... When you think about this warning, what word would you put there? It's great, but serious? Anything else? Can it be intimidating? Could there be, I don't mean this in a bad way, could there be a fear factor? In the sense that you don't fool with communion. Okay, 
So we'd, we'd think, okay, the, what is unworthy manner? What are some extreme types of judgments? You already mentioned. What are they? In this text, in your notes, you would put this down. What do you have? The extreme measure, measures that were given in that text. The weakness, the sickness, and death. Okay, so you're trying to impress upon a new convert that communion is really, really serious. Don't scare them away from it, but at the same time, this is biblical truth. Therefore, we need to take communion. When we do it, we have to do it in a worthy manner. Okay, and so what is that? You know, what is that? I, I think, obviously, from everything we said so far, the, the ones who should be taking communion are who? The believers. Okay, it, it's, it's limited to a believer's thing. Only Christians who are in fellowship with God seems to clearly come into the text that we examine ourselves and make sure that we're right with the Lord Jesus Christ and let a man examine himself so let him eat of that bread and drink that cup. And so he's given the warnings in here between this passage, examine yourself, personal introspection. So communion has a backward look, a forward look. What's your third look? Okay, you're looking inside. You've got to be looking inside. Okay. For if we would judge ourselves, the promise is given to those who judge themselves that they will not be judged or chastened for taking communion in an unworthy fashion. Okay, so it's all this you're, you're rehearsing, you're relaying, and you know it. So Christians must partake of the Lord's table. And I understand that it has to be done in a reverent fashion. In a, in a worshipful fashion, that since communion is a service to remember Christ and primarily his death, we should not be... Throw, fill in the blanks. What type of attitude or conduct should not be a part of a communion service? Flippant? Distracted or distracting? Okay. Okay, just monotonous approach. You know, just... I'm bored with it, Tradi- tradition type thing. Any other thoughts come to your mind? I put down several things. Shouldn't be done flippant, great minds. Silly, okay? Shouldn't be done disrespectfully. Shouldn't be insensitive to sin, okay? Nobody knows, therefore I can do it. Um, we shouldn't take Christ for granted, which you would refer to. Uh, we shouldn't be eating communion because we're hungry. Now, we solve that problem here. Because how much do you get? <laughs> um, and so we shouldn't be distracted or distracting. So let's, let's flip the coin on the other side. If we're not supposed to be that, then what should we be? We should be quietly respectful. We should be serious. We should be considerate. Okay? We should be sensitive. We should be reflective. We should be eating because of gratefulness, not because of hunger. We should be focused. Does that summarize it well enough? Would you add anything to it? Did we cover all of our bases so far? Okay. Um, and so, let me... Do, any, do anybody know what this place is? you recognize it? It's the Holocaust Museum in Washington, D.C. Any of you ever been there? Yes? What's the tone inside? What's the mood? Yeah, and I told you that one, I think it was the last time or second last time we were there, we're in, you go in and you end up working to the top floor down, and, and it is really, really well done, but it is sobering. And we're in that top floor where they have displays, and the displays are such that sometimes they're pretty graphic. They even have barriers, 
and they have a little sign that says the contents of what you're going to look into may not be suitable for children. And so we're in this, and the room is packed, but it is quiet. And some guys, some family came, and they had their little kids. And the little kid, everybody in the room heard it. I mean, though this room was as big as this whole region here, everybody heard, Mommy, Daddy, why is everybody so quiet? What's wrong? And everybody, nobody, you know, there was a little few smirks and giggles and turning around, but nobody changed it. Why? The setting is serious. The setting is very somber. Okay? And so when we come, we're, 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 we're celebrating, and we should have a grateful heart, but we shouldn't be euphoric to the point that we're just carrying on. There should be a seriousness and a somberness and a reflective and gratefulness and checking our own hearts. Me, this is me. When we do communion, the, one, the worst part about it is when I have to check my own heart because I see so much garbage in my own heart. None of you probably do. But I am so grateful for forgiveness. That's to me of the celebration of communion. Let's stop there.